On Monday, August 23rd, Barry Morphy was back in court for day three of his preliminary hearing. I covered days one and two in previous videos and you can see that in the description box below. I will also be covering next day four. Now in the courtroom, it was noted that Barry was winking and smiling a few times at his daughters during the breaks and signs were actually posted in the courtroom as to not communicate with the defendant. Now in my hand are a ton of papers that basically covered day three. It's about 30 different pages and I'm gonna be reading some of it, so please forgive me if I don't have it memorized. So we're gonna start off with the trash runs. In my last videos, we covered the trash runs that Barry made up in Broomfield on Sunday, May 10th, the day that Suzanne went missing, or was reported missing, I should say. Barry made five trash runs in total, and he made them at various locations. At a bus stop in Broomfield, a Holiday Inn where he was staying for the day, and he did that a few times at a McDonald's was a trash run and also a men's warehouse. Now, in court on day three, the defense argued that Barry was throwing away junk in the trash cans and the FBI agent, his name was Agent Grusing, he was on the stand and said that's what Barry told them, it was just junk. But the defense also stated that there wasn't any photo evidence of Barry throwing garbage at all the five locations, including that hotel. It was said the south side of the hotel didn't have surveillance. Now, they didn't have pictures of the Broomfield stop nor of the men's warehouse trash run, which was around 40 minutes long. And at McDonald's, FBI agent Grusing said there was a possibility that there was actually two trash runs, but in the pictures, you couldn't see what was being thrown away. And back at the hotel, in one of the trash runs, there was a plastic tree pot that was thrown away and was similar to what he buys in a nursery in Salida. Now, what was also interesting is this Broomfield job day was a last minute trip and he was supposed to be setting up the job for his workers. He did all of 15 minutes worth of work and spend more time driving to locations and dropping off trash, which is interesting because it was Mother's Day, right? And most of Mother's Day was spent, in my opinion, discarding trash in various locations. Now, Barry told investigators that he had old boots, old clothes, and trash in his truck, that he could have thrown them away at some of the runs as he was cleaning out his truck. Now, remember in my last videos, if you've seen them, Barry took out the laces from his hiking boots or work boots, I should say, before throwing them away. Now, the defense says that Barry never remembered what was in his truck because it was just junk in there. But it was noted by investigators that Barry never did tell investigators or remember what he threw away that day. And Agent Grusing asked Barry if he remembered what he did in Broomfield and Barry could only remember that he went to the job site, he went to McDonald's and to the hotel, but Barry did not mention to investigators men's warehouse and the bus stop. Now, note, as I said before, Barry actually spent 40 minutes at men's warehouse, so it wasn't a little bit of time. Now, Barry told investigators that his truck becomes a trash truck because he works so much and any chance to clean his truck he does. He said, I'm a tightwad and I don't want to pay for trash pickup. I work so much where my truck becomes a trash truck. But it's interesting, isn't it? And Barry makes these five trash runs at various places, not at home though, because he said he is a tightwad and he doesn't want to pay for trash pickup. Only once he gets to Broomfield, instead of just doing one trash run, he decides to go to various places, right? I wonder why that is.
Now, it sure would be interesting how he explains that away, don't you think? Like, tell me, Barry, why five different trash runs that day? Why, why not just one? Now, investigators believe that Barry disposed of evidence that day from the murder of Suzanne. But the defense asked the agent in court, she says, your theory is that Barry drove to Broomfield to dispose of evidence from a murder? And Agent Grusing, who's on the stand, said yes. And the defense says, you think he did this in plain daylight, plain sight with surveillance cameras? Now in court, they talked about the Broomfield job and about Morgan Gentile, who was one of Barry's employees and also about one of the workers who was called to Broomfield that day, which we now know is Jeffrey Puckett. Barry was supposed to pick up Morgan, though, on Sunday evening at 5.30 p.m., but instead, he called her that morning at 11.18 a.m. and asked her to bring another worker to Broomfield and to make sure that there was enough material to do the job. And Barry did not mention why he left Morgan in Chafee County. He was supposed to be her ride later on that evening. But she said that she heard Barry's truck around 4 a.m. on Sunday morning and it wasn't a surprise to her that he left her. Now in a previous video she did say that after she talked to him she thought he just had the worst night of his life. So Morgan Gentile and Jeffrey Puckett arrived in Broomfield that Sunday and Morgan stayed in room 228 and Jeff stayed in room 225 which is the same room that Barry stayed in. In court the judge asked if the room had been cleaned before Jeff arrived and the investigators said they didn't know and it's not clear if the room was cleaned by the hotel staff or not before Jeff stayed there. But it's interesting here that Barry checked into this hotel room and Jeff took the same room. I wonder if there was any pre-planning that took place regarding the room. Like, did Barry want Jeff to take his room? That's my question. What do you think? Let me know in the comments below. And the defense said that Barry didn't tell the front desk to get two new clean rooms. And when Morgan arrived and Jeffrey, Morgan said she walked into Barry's hotel room, and we've heard this before, and she said it smelled strongly of chlorine. She said there were wet towels on the floor and they found insurance documents also and under the pillow. But Jeff said the room reeked like chlorine. And in previous reports, Jeff did say there were insurance documents, but he said they were in the trash. Now, interesting here as well, What's Barry doing with insurance documents in a hotel room the day that Suzanne is gone? I'd be interested in hearing his reply. Would love to hear his reasoning on that. As for the chlorine smell, the defense argues that the general manager from the hotel told CBI that the room Barry was staying in was right above the indoor pool and that it had another room that had a strong smell of chlorine from that pool. Now, this was also the time of COVID, if you remember, and pools were closed at that time. Interesting that the room was above where the pool was. Morgan was asked by investigators what the nature of her relationship was with Barry and asked if they had an affair. And Morgan said she respected Barry as a boss, that he never did anything to make her uncomfortable. And she said that Barry was the first boss that respected her. And in a previous interview with Lauren Scharf as well, she said that she was not having an affair with Barry. She also said she didn't ever want to see Barry again. She said she was concerned about what was being said on social media, concerned for her safety as well as her children's. And it was confirmed that Morgan was not having an affair or did not have an affair with Barry. She described Barry as not an emotional guy, but Barry called Morgan crying on Monday morning at 7.30 a.m. and he said, 
my wife is missing, we found the bike, it's gotta be a mountain lion or a cougar. And then he immediately talked about the job in Broomfield, taking the attention away from what he was just talking about. Um, Barry also said this theory to his brother-in-law, Andy, Suzanne's brother. When Andy got to the scene where the bike was found and took a look, he said to Barry, like, forget about the mountain lion theory, Barry, there's no way. And also the authorities also agreed to that. And then you see Barry changing the theory to an abduction theory. Now that Sunday night, Barry called Morgan at 6.09 p.m. saying that he needed to return to Salida for a family emergency, but he didn't say that Suzanne was missing. And CBI sent an email to the hotel on May 12th, just two days after Suzanne was reported missing, to hang on to all the surveillance videos. They picked up the thumb drive for it and agents also got the logs of who was coming in and leaving from that hotel. One of the agents in the courtroom didn't have information if the hotel room was swabbed for Suzanne's DNA, which is interesting. Now, another agent went back to the hotel on September 1st, 2020 to take photographs after all that media attention about the chlorine smell in Barry's room. And it was said that the defense found an email from the hotel manager saying that the room is above the pool area and still smells like chlorine four months later. Find that interesting too. The DA asked if the pool was open during the time Barry was there and the agent said they didn't know. Now, after Broomfield, Barry drove back to Maysville and met up with investigators at the scene where Suzanne's bike was found. In court, the defense said that Barry got to the scene and he was very emotional. The undersheriff, though, disagreed. The defense says that the dispatch called him and when they called, Barry was very emotional. Undersheriff agrees, but the undersheriff said he had crocodile tears and they were fake. And the defense disagreed. Now, Barry arrived at 8.52 p.m. where the bike was found, and five minutes later, the undersheriff arrived. He had been the undersheriff for three years. It said he had been a police officer for 23 years, and he worked as an animal control officer for four. The undersheriff described the cab of Barry's truck, and he described it as dirty, dusty, and clutter with some clothes, and also it had his bag that he had taken with him to Broomfield. Now, I wonder what the clutter was and why Barry didn't throw out the clutter um, on these five dump runs. Now, when the bike was found, the handles were turned almost 180 degrees, and a bike expert told deputies that happens when someone pushes the bike. He said there wasn't any signs of a crash. He said if the bike had been wrecked, the mechanic said that the handlebars and bike seat would not be centered, but it wasn't the case here. And Suzanne had new tires also put on her bike on May 7th, which was just three days before. Barry's DNA was found on the bike. They found it on the bike seat, but not on the handlebars. Also interesting, the undersheriff said he was fishing at Fusis Lake on Mother's Day with his wife at 12.02 p.m. He said it was crowded, so they left, and he confirmed no one reported the bike being ditched or found. There was also a sleeping bag found near Suzanne's bike. It wasn't tested for DNA, though, and the undersheriff said it could have flown out of a bed of a truck. Then there was body cam footage showing Barry at the Morphew home at 9.37 p.m. on May 10th, after he was at the scene where the bike was found and he was shown in the driveway and walking to the house and then entering in the home. He was in the home for a total of three minutes. The defense said he was given instruction to go inside, go directly to something that Suzanne was wearing to give for the search dogs. And 
Barry pointed to black bicycle shorts and authorities put it in a Ziploc bag. The undersheriff said that there was also riding gloves wadded up on the floor and Barry was then escorted out of the home. He was there from 9.37 p.m. until 9.40, like I said, a total of three minutes. But I do wonder, wouldn't Suzanne be technically wearing those black bicycle shorts if she was going for a bike ride, right? Or how many bike shorts does she own? And how many gloves, right? If she was riding, she'd probably be wearing those gloves. So I'm curious to know that answer. Now, notable, Barry wasn't asking any questions when he was in the home or looking around the home. And it was said he didn't try calling Suzanne on the phone. And the last place Barry said he saw Suzanne alive was in that bedroom that morning. So he wasn't looking at the bed or asking any questions. And the undersheriff said that was notable that Barry didn't try to call, he didn't ask questions, and he didn't look at the bed where he last saw her or allegedly last saw her. Also interesting, on May 13th, three days after Suzanne was reported missing, photos were taken of Barry, specifically injuries to his left arm and his hands, which were said to be in various stages of healing. Just below his left shoulder were fingernail marks. And I was just thinking if Suzanne's facing Barry, it could be the fingernail marks from uh, her right side, right? If she was facing him, potentially. Now in court, they talked about these three small cuts, but the defense argued that there were only two marks and the third was a healing cut and the undersheriff disagreed. Now Barry's reasoning to the investigators for having cuts on his arm said, he said he got the cuts from a tree while he was searching for Suzanne. And in the house, there was a white coffee cup that was sitting on the kitchen counter and it was said it was half full next to the sink. The undersheriff said it was out of the ordinary because it wasn't clean. And the defense said that Suzanne always had a cup of coffee in the morning and that Barry doesn't drink coffee and has never had a cup. Now, one used plate was also recovered from the dishwasher as well. And FBI agent Grusing said in the interviews with Barry, that Barry had mentioned eating steaks with Suzanne on Saturday night and Barry said that they shared one plate and ate off one plate. And remember the selfie that Suzanne took on Saturday afternoon? She sent it to Jeff Liebler, who is the guy she was having an affair with. She was wearing a bikini in that picture and the bikini was found in the master closet and there wasn't blood on it and it didn't have any tears. The bikini though wasn't collected as evidence. And also what was interesting in that photo, Suzanne was laying on a brown towel and the investigators never found it. Then in court, there were photos shown of Mallory Morphew's bedroom. Her bed was stripped and the pillows and comforter were on the ground and the sheets were found in the dryer along with Barry's shorts. And also found in the dryer was the cap for the syringe for the tranquilizer darts. And Back to the shorts that they found, that was the khaki colored shorts that Barry was wearing on May 9th, according to surveillance photos. Now the defense said that Suzanne had a to-do list on the counter and on it, it said Mal's sheets. So the sheets were taken from the dryer between May 11th and 15th and it wasn't until May 19th when the investigator found the, the cap for the dart. And when the authorities searched the home, 
and the master bedroom, they noticed that the door of the master bedroom had a crack in it and stated it was consistent with forced entry. The previous owners of the home were spoken to and CBI was told that there that wasn't there when they moved. And authorities also found an unspent 22 caliber shell next to the side of the bed that Suzanne slept on. It was said that they didn't find any blood in the room, on the bed, nor on the walls, or anywhere in the master bedroom. But I do wonder with that unspent shell, I'm wondering if there was any sort of, you know, um, kind of mind screwing, if you will, uh, by, by placing it on the bed or something, just put a shell beside her. I don't know, something like, like almost like a taunting, you know, if, or, or a threat. I, I do wonder that. What are your thoughts on that? Now, in one of my last previous videos on the preliminary, I talked about Suzanne's journals and it's believed that some were missing. Investigators were told to find three books that Suzanne would have together in the house. They found a Bible, an Al-Anon book, but no journal. But in the fireplace, investigators described pieces of material that could have been from a journal that was burned. The investigators found a piece of wood that was not firewood, paper similar to wrapping paper, two long metal pieces, and something similar to book binding. There was also a bundle of firewood next to the fireplace that was untouched. Now the defense asked, do you know if there were love notes about her lover Jeff Liebler in the journal? The agent replied, no, or hateful stuff about Barry either. Now Agent Grusing spoke to Barry about the burned file folders in the, the fireplace and Barry said they were getting rid of old files. Now Suzanne's spy pen was found in the master bedroom closet and was found with a box of bras. And in previous videos, I did talk about the spy pen. Suzanne used it to record Barry. In one of the recordings, Barry was listening to forensic files and one of the episodes was about a person going missing on a bike. Also in court, they talked about prescription drugs that were found in the Morphew home, uh, but what they talked about specifically was on May 6th at 12.30 p.m., Suzanne picked up a white paper bag at the pharmacy, but interestingly, that prescription was not found in the home for that date. Then authorities searched Suzanne's 2015 Range Rover and they described what was found in it. They found her camelback on the seat, which is what she used to uh, when she went biking. They also found her purse and in it, they found her medical card, driver's license, credit cards, and cash. And the undersheriff said Suzanne would need ID to go anywhere out of the country or out of the country. He said it's significant because if she were leaving on her own, that she'd likely take her ID and cash with her, but it was still found in her purse. So those who are wondering, I guess that's your answer if she left the country on her own. He also mentioned Suzanne's medical card and said that would be needed for her treatment that was scheduled on Monday the 11th and that was left inside of her purse as well. Of course, the defense argued that when people disappear, they don't always take their own ID. Now Suzanne's cell phone wasn't found in the investigation and her phone charger wasn't found either in the home which was typically plugged in uh, beside her bed. Interesting though, they found empty hot tub bottles in Suzanne's car on the floorboard. And if you remember one of my last videos, Suzanne had texted Barry on that Saturday to grab hot tub stuff. But authorities didn't find a receipt for the hot tub chemicals 
from Salida Stove and Spa, which is where Barry visited that Saturday afternoon. So it's interesting that these bottles are in Suzanne's car. As I said, Barry went to Salida Stove and Spa that Saturday, but it's not clear what he bought. And later on, it said that Barry didn't buy anything there. And it was also said that Barry was confused about which day he had visited Salida Stove and Spa. And he also said he was confused about the skid steer slash bobcat, which we, we know he didn't or he had not mentioned that he changed his blade out of his bobcat. He did a mechanical thing to it. There was also something brought up by the defense about surveillance at a loafing jug with a vehicle that looks like Suzanne's. However, the undersheriff disagreed. The defense said to him that he didn't put that in the report about that vehicle looking like Suzanne's. The undersheriff states that someone else did the report and reiterates that he didn't write the report. There's a little bit of back and forth. And then the defense said, did you change your mind because it doesn't line up with the murder timeline? And the judge says she needed to re-ask the question without the hyperbole of murder timeline. Then they touched on the helmet again in court. They said that it was found off Highway 50 and they knew it was Suzanne's because she had the contact info in the inside of it. There wasn't evidence though of a crash. And it was a good distance away from where that bike was found. And the helmet wasn't found until five days after Suzanne was reported missing. And at this point, this is when the abduction theory came to play from Barry. Now Barry's DNA wasn't found on the outside of the helmet. There were tire castings that were also taken from the area where that helmet was found and Barry's vehicle was excluded from the tracks. Now, very interesting, the FBI agent, Agent Grusing, said when they asked Barry if he turned left or right on Highway 50 when he left that morning of May 10th, Barry said he went left in an interview and Grusing stated that if Barry went right, he would be headed towards Salida and Broomfield, but if he turned left, it would take him to where the helmet was near that Highway 50. Barry also told investigators that the reason why he turned left was because he had seen a bull elk and a herd of elk crossing the street and wanted to see when they would be shedding their antlers. So he's explaining why he turned left that morning. Wonder if he was also looking for Mallory's turkey. In court, the state asked the undersheriff about hunting and when the elk shed their antlers. The undersheriff said they typically shed their antlers before March and that bulls and cows aren't typically together in May. Which you'd think, Barry being an avid hunter, he would know that, right? Now, the tranquilizer dart was discussed more in depth and Remember that the cap was found in the dryer at the Morphew home. The plastic cap wasn't found until May 19th and investigators don't know how the cap got in the dryer and how long it had been there. There were two DNA mixtures it was said on the cap, Barry's DNA was excluded. The defense pulled out a box of darts and showed the FBI agent. The defense pulls out a dart from the box and shows that the agent that the dart itself did not have a cap on it. They said that the cap found in the dryer wasn't from a tranquilizer dart, but from the needle used to inject the dart with chemicals. The agent agreed and said she's correct in saying that technically they didn't find a tranquilizer dart cap. But Barry told investigators, I don't know how that got there. It had nothing to do with me. The defense went through the instructions and how to fill the tranq dart. And they said that law enforcement found 
empty tranquilizer darts, but not the tranquilizer chemical at the house. And Barry said, I don't recall having any left. Also, according to law enforcement, the trank gun that was found in the garage didn't work. There were empty vessels of the tranquilizer darts as well. And one of the agents said there was a box of syringes inside the safe in the garage, as well as several darts. Agent Grusing said Barry told them he could have thrown some chemical away, but doesn't remember and states that the cap in the dryer had nothing to do with him and hates that it was found there because it makes him look bad and no wonder why people hate me. Now, investigators also interviewed Parks and Wildlife vet asking about if a human was shot with a tranquilizer dart and what the impacts would be on a person. And they said if a person would be injected by this serum for tranquilizer darts, the human would be in complete sedation within two to three minutes. The woman would likely run, then become wobbly and unstable before dozing off. The undersheriff talked about the tranquilizer dart and guns and he said he used them for four years. He explained how to use them by putting the solution in the dart and then putting it in the gun. He used them for vicious dogs, he said, when he was an animal control officer. Also, he said that more times than not, he would have to chase after the dog after shooting it with the trank dart. He said sometimes the dogs would be found in people's yards later and then he would be called. He'd also catch cats. Barry told investigators that he last used the trank gun to shoot a deer in late April of 2020 to get their antlers. He said, I'm telling you, telling you right now to get horns. They go to sleep, I remove their horns, they go off with no horns on their head. I'm curious about this too. Maybe um, all you hunters out there, if you can let me know below. I've never heard a hunter call them horns when they're antlers. That's just interesting to me. Could be something, could be nothing. I just, I'm curious, do you call them horns? Because we just call them antlers. So he said he, uh, he allegedly shot the deer in April with a tranquilizer gun, either in the garage or the breezeway. Now the undersheriff said the deer would absolutely run off. It was noted they didn't find any animal in the home where their antlers had been cut off and there were antlers in the home, but no cut antlers. Now, according to investigators during an April 2021 interview, Barry was questioned a number of times and he answered, I don't recall for a total of 95 times. And he said, if you're trying to twist my words, if I don't recall something, I don't recall it. When asked if he shot the tranquilizer gun on May 9th, he said, absolutely not. They talked a little bit about the chipmunks. Again, Barry was talking about shooting chipmunks around the home on May 9th. He says, I shoot chipmunks, so when I am home, I go around the house, and when I see another, I'll shoot it. And Barry said he shot the chipmunks with a 22. A lot of people have been commenting under my videos saying, who would shoot chipmunks with a 22? Barry Morphew. Then they talked about the texts from Suzanne and the phone, and they, the defense brought up the text from Suzanne to Barry when she said, I'm done. I talked about it in a previous video. They said that Suzanne could have been telling Barry that she was done having coffee at the neighbor's house. Suzanne was at Jean Ritter's house having coffee from 9 a.m. until 11 a.m. on May 6th when that text was sent. The defense said after that text, there was cordial messages between Suzanne and Barry. Agent Grusing asked Barry about the suicide text that he made after Suzanne had sent a text, I'm done, and Barry told Grusing, I was just trying to hurt her, that's all I was doing. So interesting here that the defense says, well, maybe Suzanne was just finished having coffee and saying, I'm done, but then 
that's a pretty crazy response from Barry talking about being suicidal if she was done having coffee. Just an observation. The defense also brought up Barry's phone ping at 3.59 a.m. near where Suzanne's bike was found. The defense said it's possible that static drift interfered. She said this is when GPS moves when the phone isn't actually moving. And on May 9th at 10.17 p.m. to May 10th, 4.30 a.m., Barry's phone was in airplane mode. Prosecution asked Agent Grusing if that's enough time to dispose of a body. Grusing says it is. And the agent was asked about the 18 to 19 miles that were missing from Barry's odometer in his truck. The defense talked about where Salida Stoven Spa is located and asked if that was a coincidence that it added up to those miles. And the agent said no. Now the owners of Salida Stoven Spa said Barry had been in the store asking to get his hot tub fixed on May 9th from 4 to 5.30 p.m. And the investigator said that the owner had told them that Barry didn't buy anything from there. So it's curious about those hot tub bottles. Now from May 5th to the 9th, 2020, the FBI said that they could not get everything off of Barry's phone and that he had deleted. The state asked, is it possible Barry could have been tracking Suzanne and Agent Grusing said yes. Now one of the interesting points as well, uh, the undersheriff said that on Sunday morning, Barry turned around at the Garfield mine after leaving home that morning. The Garfield mine round trip from the Morphew home is 6.2 miles, not 18 to 19, that they were talking about potential missing miles from Barry's truckodometer. But perhaps it's a few trips. I mean, three trips would make 18 miles. But it's interesting to me that he turned where the Garfield mine was because he did pretty good timing to get to Broomfield from Salida. It was three, two and a half hours. I think he made it just under three hours, which is around how long it would take. But if he was turning around or, or turning off, I'm just really curious about that. Maybe he made up for it on the way to Broomfield. Now, they did talk about multiple calls being made from Barry's truck to several people on Sunday. They, he phoned Mallory, Suzanne, and the Ritter neighbors. The prosecution asked if it was possible for Barry's Bluetooth to pick up without being in his truck, and the agent said yes. In the early hours of Sunday at 12.02 a.m. and 12.17 a.m., there were incoming and outgoing calls on Suzanne's phone. According to Verizon, the agent said there were no calls or texts from Suzanne's phone during that time. The last registered call from Suzanne's phone was on May 9th in the afternoon. And remember, that was around the time in the afternoon where Suzanne did that selfie and sent it to Jeff. Now, Barry's phone went into airplane mode from 2.47 p.m. until 10.17 p.m. that day. And his phone appeared to be at the house from 10.17 p.m. until 3.25 a.m. Sunday morning. Barry, though, explained to investigators in an interview that if his phone went into airplane mode, it would be an accident if that happened. Then there were interviews from Barry from May until July 8th. There were 13 interviews in total, which equaled 24 hours. Barry said that when Suzanne married Barry, it was a marriage for life. He said he was 100% faithful to Suzanne during their marriage, no infidelity. He said, she is the love of my life. I would lay down my life for that girl. I'm telling you right now, I was in shock for five days. If I left something out or a time period, then it wasn't on purpose. In my last videos, I talked about internet searches, one of them being cute girls near Salida. There was a celebrity jihad site and also Ashley Madison, which is known for 
promoting being unfaithful. And the defense stated that it could have been anybody in the house. So I'm not sure if Suzanne or Mallory or Macy would have searched for cute girls near Salida, but you know. Then Barry was asked if he searched dating sites like Bumble. Barry said, I don't know what they are. He claimed he had never searched for another woman. Barry also said that if he would have known Suzanne wanted a divorce, he would have written her a check for half and let her go her own way. But Agent Grusing said Barry would tell Suzanne about a divorce. I'm not discussing this because it's never going to happen. And the state said, well, it never did. Now on June 2nd, Agent Grusing introduced the idea of Suzanne having an affair. And Barry said, no, because of our relationship with the Lord, she is a very faithful person of God. He didn't want to think that it was a possibility. Barry did tell investigators after they told him Suzanne was having an affair. He said it blew his mind and thought that they lied to him just to get a reaction out of him. He told the authorities that if they believe he found out about the affair and did something to Suzanne, then they were completely wrong. Barry told the investigator, I don't understand why God would take away my wife. Maybe in God's eye, this is the way of him resolving something. On June 2nd, Barry also said Suzanne was abusing drugs and alcohol and they would fight about it. He told investigators Suzanne was well when they first moved into the Salida area in 2018. Prosecutors asked about the messages Barry had deleted from his phone. He allegedly told investigators he did that to hide them from his daughters. They also said he talked about Suzanne in the past tense. But Barry said on Saturday night he had dinner with Suzanne, they went for a hike after, and they had a nice night and were intimate when they went to bed. He said we had steak and sex on May 9th, best night, and there were no chemicals in Suzanne, so they had a good night. Which is interesting because earlier in that day, remember the picture that Suzanne sent Jeff? Barry stated that she looked like she had drunk eyes. Now, when investigators asked Barry who saw Suzanne alive last, he said it was him. It was April 22nd, 2021, the interview with Barry. Agent said, you were the last person to see Suzanne alive and Barry agreed. And it's interesting, right? I mean, the wording in that, not, was he the last in the family to see Suzanne before she went missing? But who was the last to see her alive? And he said it was him. It's interesting. So Agent Grusing said in court that it appeared that on Saturday, May 9th, 2020, that something either happened to Suzanne or her phone. And Barry agreed and asked, is there any sign of anyone getting into the home? And the agent said no. Barry was also asked by the agent what was the last image of Suzanne and Barry didn't answer three times. The agent then asked did you see a lump in the covers and Barry answered probably just the lump there saw her breathing. Barry said all that he had in his life left was hunting. He had hunted since he was seven years old and said if I have to live this life without her at least I can hunt. And Agent Grusing said Barry mentioned multiple times during the investigation that this is in God's hand. He allowed this whole thing to happen. The agent also asked Barry if he's ever been physical with Suzanne because of one of the 50 grievances was just wrestled free. That was taken from a tweet, so I'm not too sure what that means at this point, but I'll find out. Barry said he never grabbed her or constricted her with his arms. He would brush up against her. So on the day that Barry Morphy was arrested, Agent Grusing was actually in the back of the car with him and Barry said, how could you do this to me? I trusted you. 
Barry asked for immunity if he just sat down and opened his life to the FBI agents. Agent Grusing believes Barry meant that if he disclosed things to the agents, that he wouldn't be prosecuted for Suzanne's disappearance and death. He said, can you give me immunity if I sit and open my life to you? And here's another interesting point and one that's very, very reminiscent of Letitia Stouk in the Gannon Stouk case. Gannon went missing in January, just four months before Suzanne did, and Letitia Stouk is about to have her preliminary hearing. But Barry came up with an alternate suspect when he was questioned by investigators. He said Suzanne was buying drugs from CBD Tim and she was buying them off the streets and he should be a suspect. So he went from the mountain lion to abductor and then to the CBD Tim. Just like Letitia, she said Eduardo, she had this name come up named Eduardo and that he should be looked at. She also said she was assaulted by him, like S.A., um, in her own home and she stopped, went upstairs, answered the door to her stepdaughter and then closed the door, told her to go play on her bike and went back down for more. Not even joking. CBI did note that Barry used past tense when speaking about Suzanne. He said, I just wished you knew her, how amazing she was. And he told investigators that she was last wearing white shorts and a string type shirt. Also, remember Barry used Suzanne's vote and voted for Trump. Barry told investigators that he voted in the 2020 election on Suzanne's behalf because he wanted Trump to win and said he knew the other guys were cheating. After they did an audit of his interview in April, it was presented to the DA's office and from there, Agent Grusing said an arrest warrant was issued for murder. On Friday, September 17th at 1.30, the judge will make a ruling in regards to the evidence in the Barry Morphew case, whether or not it'll go to trial. And this will also be the day that they'll discuss whether the judge will unseal the arrest affidavit or not. We have been waiting um, to see this, and I've said this before, but I'm sure it's going to be horrific. Watch for day four coming soon. Let me know your thoughts below. That's a lot of information. I have a lot more to go through for day four, but stay tuned, it's coming. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. Please like and please share. Thank you so much for watching. See you soon.